Good afternoon, and welcome to the Narrow Path radio broadcast. My name is Steve Gregg, and we're live uh, Monday through Friday at this time to take your calls. If you have questions about the Bible or the Christian faith that you'd like to talk about, uh, we have an hour to do that. You can call in. The number is 844-484-5737. That's 844-484-5737. And uh, many of you know I'm uh, speaking at a number of venues uh, in the Phoenix area uh, this weekend, uh, including uh, tonight and tomorrow night and uh, Sunday night and Monday night. So um, I'm in different places, but if you want to uh, attend any of those, you can go to our website, thenarrowpath.com, and uh, find out exactly where that is going to be. So... um, That's going to be through Monday. Uh, Not much else that I have to announce. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I have to announce. I don't think so. So we can go directly to the phones. And, oh, I will say this. If you were listening yesterday, you know, my my audio cut out and there was a delay and things like that. Uh, Yes, I was aware of it. I was uh, in a very bad spot for Internet. I was traveling and I couldn't get a good Internet signal. I thought I'd do the show anyway, but that was a bad experiment. Uh, anyway, we did get the show done. It was just uh, rather painful to listen to, I'm sure. Anyway, we are in a good place now. I think we'll be sound normal today. So uh, the number to call is 844-484-5737. Uh, David from Andover, Kansas, welcome to The Narrow Path. Thanks for calling. Hello. Yes, so I'm going through a study on uh, the book of John and going through... Um, Chapter 14 and 15, Jesus talks about uh, his commandments and obeying his commandments. And I wasn't sure uh, what are the commandments of Jesus uh, that he's talking about. Well, they they make up most of the uh, the pages of the Gospels. Uh, you know, Jesus gave commandments uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, and in mm-hmm. answer to people's questions about what they should do in certain situations. You know, anything that Jesus said that looks like a command as opposed to, let's just say, teaching some doctrine or something, is oh, that would fall under the general heading of his commandments. Now, of course, he said in uh, the chapter before John 14, in the previous chapter, chapter 13, verse 34, he said, a new commandment I have for you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so, uh, essentially, that's a restatement and perhaps an expansion a little bit on the command to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, everything Jesus taught, all the commands he gave, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, are somehow amplifications on those the two duties. One is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the other is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you might say, well, why did he have to give any other commands if that covers it all? And the reason is because we don't always know instinctively what really love is. Sometimes we're very sentimental about love. Sometimes loving someone... Uh, is a tough thing, I mean, having tough love and things like that. And so, uh, you know, the whole the whole duty of man is to love God and to love uh, one another. But that would mean love them the way that God defines love, not the way that the world does or the way we might, in, you, know, um, you know, instinctively feel sometimes. So basically loving another person, the way Paul put it in uh, Romans 13, said love does no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. But the point is, whether we have a lot of commandments or whether we're following just those two and we're doing it well, 
uh, we are following his commandments nonetheless. And, and his commandments become our obligation because he is the king. He's our Lord. And when you become a Christian, that's something you acknowledge, that Jesus is Lord. And, uh, and that you now acknowledge yourself as one who is a follower of him and owned by him and duty-bound to obey him. So, uh, I mean, if, if a person wants to be a disciple of Jesus, they need to concern themselves with whether the way they're living agrees with the way he's teaching or not. And I would suggest anyone who wonders what that would mean, uh, just go through the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. I, I could say Mark and John, too, because they, they both also have some of the commands of Jesus, but probably Mark and Luke, uh, Matthew and Luke have the most. But... Uh, I mean, read Jesus and, his, and what he told his disciples to do as if he's telling you to do that. Now, there would be a few things that would be different simply because we live in a different age. For example, he said if someone compels you to go one mile with him, go two. Well, we don't live in an age where anyone can legally compel us to go one mile. But in those days, a Roman soldier could do that to a Jewish citizen. He could make him go a mile and carry his gear for him. Uh, we're not in that situation, but we might in, be in situations that would be, uh, in principle, similar. Uh, likewise, Jesus talked about you know, when you uh, bring your gift to the altar, if you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go make it right with your brother, and then come bring your gift. Well, we don't go to, we don't go to the temple. We don't bring lambs to the altar and sacrifice them like the disciples did at that time. But there's no temple and there's no sacrifices anymore. But still in principle... You know, bringing your gift to the altar for them meant coming to worship God at the temple. So we could say, well, we don't offer lambs anymore, but we we do offer praise. We offer worship or spiritual sacrifices and so forth. So before we worship God, we need to make sure that we, we've obeyed God in terms of our obligation to settle matters with people who have things against us. That's what Jesus says. So in other words, uh, the disciples lived in a, a world, uh, the Roman world and in a Jewish world, where they had some things uh, that are different than our world, and, and Jesus' instructions in teaching them took the form of things they would do in the world they were in. Uh, our duty would be to find out, okay, well, what's, what's really, what's he talking about here? I mean, what's the issue? I don't go to the temple, but is there anything in my life that's parallel to that, or in principle do the same? Uh, in other words, it's not so much that we have a rule book and we just you know, follow the rule book, it's that we find out what it is that Jesus wants for us to do and, uh, and apply those principles in the circumstances we live in. And, you know, Jesus did say when he told the apostles to go out and disciple the world, he said, go make disciples, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. So that would be to, you know, look at how he commanded and instructed his disciples and saying, okay, that's not just an interesting piece of ancient history about a uh, a rabbi talking to his uh, his his friends, but uh, this is uh, this is the king. This is the king laying out the rules, laying out the principles that anyone loyal to him is to follow. But you will find the individual commands of Christ in collections in the Gospels, like like the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew five through seven, and other passages. But they all really boil down to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors you love yourself. All right. Let's talk to Jacob from Libera Heights, California. Welcome to the Narrow Path, Jacob. Hey, good afternoon. Yeah. Um, my question is, 
can a person be a Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, or even Seventh-day Adventist and have salvation? Well, that's for God to judge. Um, God is not going to judge me or you or anyone that I know of uh, on the basis of what, what group they were a part of. In fact, if anything, the Bible seems to talk about God isn't really interested in what groups people are in. He's, in, he's interested in their hearts. For example, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, you know, the Samaritan was in a different group than the guy he helped. The guy he helped was a Jew. The Samaritan was a Samaritan, and, and they were of a different race. They were hot, they, The two races were hostile to each other. There was a lot of racism in that situation, and uh, they were different in religion. Uh, and yet, the Samaritan, which is the one who had the bad religion, frankly, I mean, the Jew was the one who was following the Torah. The Samaritans had altered their religion, didn't follow the Torah the same way. Uh, he's the one that Jesus commended, because... Where his heart was at. His heart was to help his fellow man and to love his neighbor as he loved himself and so forth. So uh, the good Samaritan was in the wrong religious group, but he was on the right side of God. So I, I can't really answer for, for a whole group. Uh, for example, you know, I believe Mormonism is a cult. I believe Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. That means I think they're a false religious group. Um, and, and therefore, they have some doctrines that I believe are wrong doctrines. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists, it's questionable whether they're a cult or not, but they have some doctrines I disagree with, too. But then uh, the same could be said of uh, you know, Baptists and Presbyterians and some people like that who no one regards them as cults. Uh, so, you know, again, it, God's not going to judge you by were you a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Pentecostal or were you part of some group that had wrong doctrine. Because the Bible says every man's going to be judged by his works. And, and I understand that, but doesn't Apostle Paul said if we preach another Christ, that we are to be a curse? Right. Yes, if you preach another uh, gospel and, and another Christ, that's not okay. Um, and and the, see, the, not all of these the Mormons do that. Right. Okay. Well, I have to say this. So do, so do some Protestant churches, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, every, every group preaches the gospel the way they think Paul meant it to be preached. This is a problem we have that the Galatians didn't have. Paul said that to the Galatians. The Galatians knew what the apostles preached. Paul had been in their church and preached it. And he said, if anyone comes and preaches a different gospel than you heard me preach, even if, if it's an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. Well, that was an easy thing for them to recognize. But now we live at a time where Every group that's got different ideas thinks that Paul taught their ideas. Everyone thinks that Jesus taught their ideas. Everyone thinks that theirs is the apostolic doctrines. So I think we have to ask, well, what is the very core of the gospel? I believe the very core of the gospel is Jesus is Lord. He's the Son of God. He, um, you know, he died for our sins. He arose again, and uh, you know, he's the Messiah, the King. Those are the things that the Bible really places as the central points. Now, people who hold all those points might have different understandings of some of those points. For example, when I say Jesus is the Son of God, I'm thinking of him as actual deity, you know, like God in the flesh. Uh, some people understand the word Son of God differently because the word Son of God is used more than one way in the Bible. And, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, I think they both say Jesus is the Son of God. I think they both say he's right. the Lord. Now, their doctrines about God are really kind of weird compared to the doctrines I think are true. 
and and therefore I think they're wrong. But you know, I I, I believe that if people are doing what they know to do uh, to to follow Jesus. I can't really be sure how God's going to judge them. All I know is he says we're going to be judged by our works. And if they're preaching the gospel, let's say they preach it differently than I do, uh, assuming they think they're being faithful to the biblical gospel, and they happen to be wrong. And I think I'm being faithful to the biblical gospel, and I'm accidentally wrong too, maybe. And the same is true of different denominations that teach it differently. I think God's going to have to, you know, kind of look deeper than just, you know, what were your beliefs, because your beliefs, if you're an honest person, your beliefs are according to what you believe the Bible says. But the Bible isn't always the easiest thing to understand. I think we should do everything we can to understand it correctly. But I don't know that someone who's trying to understand Scripture and trying to be obedient to God and trying to obey Jesus and trying to understand Jesus, and they're just intellectually, they don't don't get it right. I don't think God's going to bust them for that, because that's an intellectual defect. That's not a moral defect or even necessarily a spiritual one. I will say this. Cults, I don't think, uh, I don't think anyone is saved through being part of a cult. And, in fact, a cult might prevent someone from being saved. Because cults, the dynamics of a cult are you do not necessarily follow Jesus. You follow your cult leader. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm... Yeah. Right. But there are, unfortunately, there are Baptist churches and Catholic church and, and other churches that are that I don't consider to be cults uh, by definition that kind of have that, that going on, too. They follow their leader more than they follow the Bible. I'm going to have to let God judge that. But I do believe yes, God, God is on the side of people who are seeking him, who want to please him, who are trying their best to understand what Jesus said and to obey it. And, you know, it's frankly... Some things are hard to understand. Peter said that about Paul's writings in Second Peter chapter 3. He said some things Paul wrote are hard to understand. He said unstable yeah. people twist them and, and, and uh, you know, change them uh, to their own destruction. But lots of people find Paul's writings hard to understand and some things Jesus said hard to understand. And they're not twisting them. They're not, tr- they're not trying to corrupt them, but they, are, they have a hard time understanding them. And if we say, well, you've got to have all your doctrines just right um, and interpret every scripture just right or you're not saved, then salvation is going to only work for people who are pretty much theological geniuses. And uh, yet Jesus said, Father, I thank you. You've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and you've revealed them to babes. In other words, being and the wise and prudent, he's talking about were the Pharisees, were the theological scholars. So you can be a theological scholar and not really be in touch with God. And you can be a babe who doesn't know much theology at all. I mean, how much theology did the thief on the cross know? You know, he, he, right. been a, if he had any theology at all, it was Jewish theology, not Christian theology. He, in other words, he wouldn't be a Trinitarian because Jews were not Trinitarians. But I think, Trinity, I think Trinitarianism is true, but I don't think the thief on the cross knew that. And, uh, right. and and yet Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. Right, because the man humbly turned to God and, and made a sincere attempt to become loyal to Christ. He didn't have much opportunity to live it out. But, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't his theology that saved him. It was his recognition that Jesus was the Lord and that Jesus was the king and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Thank you so much, sir. Okay, Jacob. God bless you. Good talking to you, man. Okay, Max from Portland, Oregon, our, uh, who likes to be known as Max the Atheist. How are you doing? 
Hi, yeah. Hey, never be afraid to, you know, label a product. Hey, I was sad. I uh, was hoping that you would be announcing our debate upcoming online on Saturday, February 24th. Yes. Are we we still on for that, for the online debate? Yes. Yes, we're going to put that on our website. We'll be announcing it on the air. I don't think it's on the website because I don't think we have the contact information. Have you sent me the logon information yet? So the Zoom link will be sent uh, to us privately just prior to the debate. Um, but no. what they're going to do is I, I took the liberty of uh, getting, like, some publicity. They need for publicity for a thumbnail. So uh-huh. we have that up and, and running. Um, and I, Can I announce the topic that we've agreed on? Of course. Of course, yeah. Is Christianity true? Right. And I, I assume that I'll be uh, in the negative and you'll be arguing for the affirmative there. That would be my prediction. <laughs> All right, pretty safe <laughs> to say. So, okay, so Saturday, February 24th, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, is Christianity True? And it's going to be hosted on a YouTube channel called Modern Day Debate. Modern Day Debate on YouTube. And okay. um, if, if you miss the, the – if people miss the live stream, they that channel does keep the debates up, uh, you know, in yeah. perpetuum. So they'll be up, posted online, and available to view after as well. Okay, so uh, I don't have anything to write it down with right now. Would you would you email me that information, and we'll put that on our website announcements, and we'll be making that announcement Absolutely. between now and then. Absolutely. Great, man. Yeah, I'd be happy to. That's great. Hey, fun, travels down in Arizona, Steve. Uh, all right, thank you. I look forward to seeing you again. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, Max. Bye now. All right. That's coming up uh, February 24th, not too long from now. Uh, John from Idaho, welcome to The Narrow Path. Thanks for calling. Hi, Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Say, uh, I, I have a concern um, that goes back years now. I've listened to you for many years, although I haven't for about a year and a half. And um, are you there? I haven't heard your voice. I'm here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Okay, there you are. All right. Um, I'm actually listening to you online through the Phoenix station, but I'm up in Idaho. Anyway, uh, I'm, I talked to you a few years back regarding voting and elections, and you were very, you know, uh, impartial to, you know, giving any advice on it at the time. I'm thinking, you know, I know the Bible says to honor our rulers and kings and, and so on, but, you know, now that we've we are obviously in a country that we vote and elect our rulers and kings. I um, I have concerns. I guess it, if we want to pick out a a chapter and verse, it'd be Romans one, describing things as they seem now, from uh, verse twenty eight, twenty nine through thirty two. I guess uh, you know I'm, I'm going to a Bible church, Christian church, mm-hmm. and I. Um, I uh, at times feel very uncomfortable. Uh-huh. The pastor has your opinion, much like it was years ago when I last heard you speak of it. That you well, know, let, that let, remind, me, remind me what you think my opinion is, because it sounds like you might not be aware of my opinion. You okay. say I was ambiguous or or something like that. Correct. What, what, what did you understand me to say? I'm not sure what the question well, was. Like, should we vote? Or well, I feel what? like we're I feel like in different times now. Obviously. Um, there's a party that is promoting 
No, I'm asking you. I'm asking you about our prior conversation. Yes. You, you, you assume I believe something. I'd like to know if we're on the, uh, if, if you're assuming correctly before we go further. Uh, so we talked about well, a year and a half ago, and, and, and you asked me something. It's been more than that. Okay. It's did you ask me whether we should? It. Did you ask me whether we should vote or not? Is that was was that the question? Or no, no, else? Okay. no. It was if the Bible actually um, leads us to vote a certain way. Um, now that I think it's, times have changed since I last talked to you when I was in Arizona, and this was four or five years ago, and it's you know now we're living in times that obviously feel to me as described in. Romans, you know, of a debased mind where men think they're sure. women, women think they're men. And, you know, homosexuality is not only um, out in the right, open. So what is your question? I think we all agree okay, on that. Well, what, what's your question? Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a pastor who sometimes makes comments, you know, um, impartial to voting either way. But yet in verse 32, after the describing of homosexuality, you know, sexual immorality and wickedness and so on. Um, 32 says, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice these such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but also those who approve of those who practice these. Right. I don't have any, I don't have a difference of opinion about that. I'm not, I'm not really sure what you think my opinion is. I, I'm certainly not uh, impartial. I'm, I'm partial toward justice. That's all Christians should stand right. for justice. And um, I'm also partial toward voting, at least when we have a clear choice uh, between right. what may promote justice and what may not. Now, there's been some elections I didn't vote in because I didn't think either of the candidates uh, that I could trust them. But I do vote. In, I do vote most of the time. And my, my position about voting is mm-hmm. that uh, not everybody in the world has the right to vote. We are very fortunate to have that freedom, right. and that freedom brings with it responsibility. Uh, whenever we have something special that most people don't have, we are specially responsible to steward that, that is to make use of it, of the opportunity, in a way that promotes the kingdom of God in any way we can. Now, of course, the kingdom of God itself is not really promoted through politics, but some of the principles amenable to the kingdom of God are or can be promoted through uh, politics. For example, uh, you know, murdering babies. It's an immoral thing. Christ, our king, would be totally opposed to it. Now, if we can vote, uh, if, if given the choice, and I'm not sure we always are, but if we were given the choice to vote for a candidate that's likely to end the murder of babies and another candidate who would uh, promote the murder of babies, I mean, it's a, a no-brainer. You know, I mean... Obviously, if I have the power to speak up in favor of the innocent and I don't do it, I'm a bad steward of that opportunity. So I believe that voting is uh, a responsibility when we indeed have a a fairly clear choice between two options. So uh, I don't have a I don't have a party affiliation. I'm not a registered Democrat or a registered Republican. I'm an independent. But I I will say that most of my voting has gone uh, more often than not, almost always with the Republican option because more often than not the Republican platform stands for things that Christians can approve of maybe not always right. I mean uh, right. but, but many times and the Democrat platform it's been uh, decades since they stood for anything that a Christian can approve of in my opinion so so I'm not impartial yeah, I'm not partial toward justice 
And that's what you had said years ago, that you weren't registered with a certain party. But I guess the point I want to make also is that it is a party line. I mean, we don't always get to choose who the nominee is going to be for each party, but we it's pretty obvious what the party lines are nowadays. Back 50 years ago, you know, it may have been, you know, just uh, one was conservative spending, fiscally conservative, and the other was more liberal with spending. So, I mean, but now, now it's, you know, pretty blatant. that It's good it's, versus uh, evil. Yeah, it's good than, versus evil, yeah. to be sure. Now, let me just say this, that um, the reason I usually end up uh, voting for the Republican is because he's often the, the lesser of two evils. And on certain issues that are very important to me, uh, the worst of the two evils, which is usually the Democrat, is uh, is exceedingly evil in their position. And, uh, you know, and, and to vote, uh, I could either not vote and take the chance that the evil will prevail for lack of my voice and the lack of my vo vote, or I can vote for the party that will more likely impede that wickedness, if possible. But I don't put my trust in candidates or parties, but I do see some candidates are certainly going to destroy things, and others may not, uh, though they may. But yeah, I, the reason I'm independent is because as a Christian, I don't think we're supposed to have identities other than with Christ. Uh, if I identify as a Republican, well then if there's things on the Republican platform that I don't agree with, I'm identifying with them, and I, that's a solidarity I don't have any need to. I can vote for a Republican if that's the best candidate as an independent, so I don't, I don't have to be part of a party. But when you join a party, there's a sense in which you're kind of being yoked together, in many cases with unbelievers in the same party. I'd rather be free to vote one way or the other, even if it ends up being Republican more often than not. Uh, anyway, I appreciate your call. We need to take a break. You're listening to The Narrow Path radio broadcast. We are listener-supported. You can write to us at The Narrow Path, P.O. Box 1730, Temecula, California, 92593, or go to the website, thenarrowpath.com. We have another half hour coming. I'll be right back. In several hundred lectures, Steve Gregg covers every book of the Bible individually and gives separate teachings on approximately 300 important biblical topics. There are few biblical subjects that Steve has not had occasion to think through and to address. There is no charge for anything at our website, thenarrowpath.com. Visit us there and you'll be amazed at all you've been missing. That web address again is thenarrowpath.com, thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path radio broadcast. My name is Steve Gregg, and we're on for another half hour taking your calls. If you have questions about the Bible or the Christian faith, we'd be glad to talk to you if we can get you in. The number to call is 844-484-5737. And our next caller right now is Gaylord from Michigan. Gaylord, welcome to The Narrow Path. Thanks for calling. Hi, Steve. How, uh, how are you today? Uh, I'm well, thank you. Okay. I have a question, and then I have uh, a comment about one of your uh, previous uh, answers a couple of nights ago. Okay. I'll start with the question. Um, how does the blood of Abel inure to the judgment of the scribes and Pharisees 
as stated in Luke 11, uh, verse 50, 51. That's my question. Okay. And, uh, okay. And my, uh, my comment is this. You, you invited us to, to disagree with you anytime, and I usually don't. And I uh-huh. thank you for edifying me over the years as much as, as you have. However, when this caller called about, uh, the pastor who, uh, advised the uh, grandmother to go to the wedding of the homosexual grandson, um, you know, your answer was, well, I wouldn't advise that. It, it, it appears like a ratification, uh, a, a tacit ratification. Uh, now, wait, wait, and, wait, wait, wait. Then, wait, by my saying I wouldn't advise that, that sounds like a tacit approval? No, no. Okay. Uh, but I listen, oh, that, I listen that going, to that going to it would be a tacit ratification. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yes, yes. Okay, gotcha. gotcha yeah, okay. But, but then I listened to the rest of your answer. I had to listen to it twice because uh, I, was, I wanted to make sure before I, I spoke to you. Uh, and so it causes me to bring it up. Um, you know, I, I think your rationale for saying perhaps the other uh, pastor uh, said that there might be some reason uh, to attend I don't think where any pastor should, uh, and that would not be showing hatred uh, to the grandson. I, th- I think the the more loving thing would be to uh, preach the gospel at a time when you could uh, to both of them. Uh, you know, First Corinthians six nine would be uh, ample, ver- a, a good verse. Gaylor, uh, let me stop you just for a minute because I'm getting lost here. Are, is this your? Is it, are you giving me your opinion? Or are you trying to repeat? Back something that I said might have been the oh. opinion of Sonos. I, I, what, what is your opinion? Why don't we just go straight to your opinion? Okay, uh, my opinion was uh, the same as part one of your answer, and that was do, do not attend. That would seem like a tacit admission, so I wouldn't do okay. what that mm-hmm. other pastor did. Right. But then the more you talk, and I listened to it twice, uh, you said there was might have been a reason for. That other that that pastor to do it because in today's time we would not have even thought of that issue twenty years ago. Uh, but today's time is pretty much like Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and we we wouldn't urge Lot to go to a wedding like that. We know the Bible says that Lot was vexed and annoyed at living in Sodom. Okay, so and, uh, let me see if I'm understanding you, because you're kind of going on some different directions oh. here. So um, are you saying that you object to the fact that I said that that pastor who gave that advice might have had reasons for doing so, uh, unknown to me, and that, uh, you know, it's possible that he had yeah. reasons? Okay, Okay. so you don't like that idea. Well, uh, here's the thing. The pastor in question is not some unknown guy whose loyalty to Christ is questionable, or whose, uh, whose, uh, his moral stance uh, is questionable. This is a man who I know to be an evangelical teacher who loves the Word of God. He, he, he fully disapproves, as you and I do, of the LGBT agenda and so forth. But the question is not, uh, does, you know, is he compromised in his uh, moral views? But did he give the right advice or not? Now, 
there are many times it's hard to know what advice to give in some situations. I, I, I kind of have a standard idea of what I would say in that case. But, I mean, pastors are balancing several different biblical principles in, in forming their advice. And when a pastor makes a different uh, decision than I would, uh, you know, if he's kind of a flaky guy or if he doesn't read the Bible and if he just kind of make it, makes stuff up as he goes along, then I might say, yeah, that guy, I don't think he had any good reasons. But if the guy's, you know, he's, he's a good Bible scholar, he's, he, he loves the Lord, he's, he has the same moral code I do, um, he's just kind of wrestling with this issue and coming to a different conclusion, I don't have any problem saying he probably had reasons, and, uh, but I don't have any problem saying I, I would have made a different decision than he did. Um, if, if you're thinking that we should never allow that Christians who disagree with us on things have their reasons, I'm not even saying his reasons are compelling. I, I, I don't think his reasons would convince me to do it. That, but but uh, I, I guess I've lived long enough to know that Christians who disagree with me on many things often do disagree for reasons. That doesn't mean I think their reasons would convince me, but it's not like they're just kind of flipping a coin. Uh, well, yes or no on this. I think they have. I think they think it out and they have reasons and. And uh, I'm not saying they're good reasons or bad reasons. I'm just saying he had his reasons. And I, I take this position about almost every disagreement I have with other good Christians, whether it's their views about end times or about soteriology, you know, whether it's Calvinism or whatever. I, I disagree with them, and I say so very plainly. But I also say they have their reasons, and sometimes I'll even share what their reasons are if I know. Uh, I, I don't think we do much good in deciding that good people uh, make bad decisions uh, in order to make a bad decision. You know, they usually make a decision that we might think was a bad one, but they are considering things that make them think it's a good one. Okay, I'm, I'm on the other side of the aisle from that decision. But if you're objecting to me saying uh, a man who gives different counsel than I do uh, about an issue that the Bible doesn't really mentioned the bible does speak against those marriages i'm not saying it doesn't i'm not saying it isn't like sodom and gomorrah today but the bible doesn't give any advice at all about going to weddings it doesn't say you know only go to christian weddings or or, or don't go to any weddings or don't go to a wedding when uh, you know somebody's not a christian or when somebody's a sinner the bible doesn't give advice about going to weddings it, it certainly uh i think alistair Begg, who is the pastor we're talking about and myself we would both say if somebody who uh, is same-sex attracted or, or is considering uh, transitioning to, another, to the other gender, if they, wonder, uh, if they should get married to somebody of the same sex or whatever, I, I, he'd give exactly the same answer as me. No, that's, that's a sin. That's not something you should do. But when unbelievers ignore our advice, what our response to them is is not always that clear. And that's what I'm saying. Um, and my, my response would be not to attend the wedding. Uh, I'm not saying every Christian would make the same response. And if they make a different one, I might think they're making the wrong decision. But it's not a decision that the Bible enunciates clearly. The Bible doesn't say anywhere, don't go to the wedding of people who are sinning. It's just that my understanding of what it means to go to a wedding would prevent me from doing so. Uh, but not everyone has the same idea of what it means to go to a wedding. And the Bible doesn't tell us what it means. Okay, So 
we have to realize that there's a lot of people who differ from us on lots of things who are good Christians who are reasoning differently than we are. And we can say, okay, I disagree with that. Okay? But we can't say this person is totally irrational, doesn't have any biblical sense at all. Uh, you know, he, he obviously had no reason for this. I, I, I'm simply not willing to take that position about somebody that I, I know otherwise about. You know, I might know enough about a man to know he doesn't care about what the Bible says, in which case I'd say, boy, he didn't have any good reason for that. But we're not talking about a man like that. And uh, so I register my disagreement, but not my condemnation. I just, I just say that's between him and God. If, if he made the right decision, God will bless him. If he didn't, God will maybe correct him. But I thank you for your uh, sharing your view. And, uh, and, and by the way, we have a difference of opinion, too. You and I, I believe that you should realize that people who disagree with you have their reasons. And you apparently have to feel like we should believe they don't. Or, or if they do, we shouldn't acknowledge that they do. And uh, frankly, that's not the way I roll. If that's the way you roll, then we have that difference of opinion between ourselves, too. And that's fine. We don't have to agree. Viru from St. Paul, Minnesota. Welcome. Hey, Brother Steve. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, yeah, I was listening to you from last, uh, almost, I would say, two months. Uh, I myself uh, no teaching in uh, Twins of Minneapolis among Indian brothers and sisters. Uh -huh. uh, I was a Hindu for 19 years, and then God graciously saved me. Uh, I have a full-time job, but uh, I have a passion to teach the Bible. So I was, uh, I was taught, and then I read a lot of books on dispensationalism. Uh -huh. And uh, through that grade, I was reading the Bible. Uh, but recently, when I was hearing to you, um, it really, I mean, I had questions in that system, but I never paid attention. I never uh -huh. really gave serious uh, thought to the Bible uh, than to the books. I gave more importance to the books than to the scripture. It's my fault. Um, I heard your uh, eschatology series. Um, God really helped me to make a serious commitment to the scriptures again. I need to read the scriptures properly in their context to understand it. So I really want to thank you. Uh, my question I have is, uh, I've been in this country for almost 20 years, been going to an evangelical church. Uh, I, I don't see a lot of churches here uh, stressing more, or even in the, from the pulpit about the Great Commission, the importance mm. of sharing the gospel or witnessing in our day-to-day -day life. Uh -huh. uh, so I want to hear from you, like, what is the importance of this uh, great commission and witnessing to the people who never heard the gospel in a believer's life from scriptures? And I also, you know, I have, I have not seen anybody uh, writing any books or no study Bible just on great commission, but I see so many books on and dispensationalism and, uh, and Calvinism and all these systems, but the, I think we are missing the important piece. So I want to hear from you. Uh, the, the focus should be on the, how, how should a, a Christian, a believer, should focus on his witness and his church for evangelism. All right. Well, thank you for that question. Um, my, my, what we have to remember is that God wants everybody to hear about Jesus and wants everybody to surrender to Jesus and become a disciple of Jesus. Now, 
obviously no one will become a disciple of Jesus if they don't hear about him. And that's what Paul said, uh, you know, in, in Romans 10, you know, how shall they believe on him of, of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You know, and who, how will they preach if they're not sent? And that's what Paul says. So he makes it very clear. God wants everyone to call on the Lord, but they're, they're not going to call on him if they don't hear of him. So, you know, people have to hear about Jesus either from you and me or from someone else. Uh, now, not all of us are in the same position to tell people about Jesus. I, I'm very fortunate to have a, a radio uh, program where I can talk about Jesus. Um, some people, you know, they're, they spend full time or a lot of free time that they have out witnessing to people about Jesus on the streets. I've known lots of people who do that. Uh, some people write books to evangelize or write tracts. Um, and then there's even some people who do crusade evangelism, people like you know Billy Graham did and Greg Laurie and so forth. I mean, there's lots of, lots of different ways. And then, of course, there's pastors who preach the gospel from their pulpit. So, you know, there's a number of ways that people can hear the gospel even if I died and I never preached to another person, there's other opportunities. But if nobody feels the urge to preach the gospel or the need to do so, obviously, then no one will do it. Uh, I will say this. I was raised uh, in a church where they did emphasize the need to witness to people. In fact, we were even told, uh, based on Ezekiel's commission, that if we don't tell people and they don't repent then uh, their blood is on our heads. So I, I actually grew up under strong pressure to tell people about Christ, but I wanted to anyway. Um, but I also grew up thinking that all people who know Jesus know they're supposed to tell their friends about Christ. But I also had the misapprehension that everybody is called to be an evangelist. Now, evangelism means preach the gospel. Evangelism, evangelism is a word for gospel in the, in the Greek. And so... Um, but not all people are evangelists for the simple reason that there are different gifts. And Paul said God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And if you look at other passages, he can talk about a lot of other things that God has made some to be. Some people have the gift of uh, leading. Some people have the gift of giving. Some have the gift of help. Some have the gift of showing mercy. Uh, you know, some have the gift of prophecy. Some have you know, other gifts. Now, what Paul is suggesting is that all these things need to be done, and God, generally speaking, places this gifting and this calling on individuals to be involved in one or another of these activities. Now, for example, in the early church, it was very important that the gospel be preached to all nations. That was the Great Commission. But we had 3,000 people converted by the preaching of one man, Peter, on the day of Pentecost. And after that, those 3,000 people... We don't have any record of them preaching. We have record of them fellowshipping, eating, praying, uh, sitting under the apostles' teaching. And we're told, and with great power, the apostles went out and gave testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, which suggests that uh, although there were other people, no doubt, who did preach the gospel, it was primarily the apostles. There's 3,000 converts in the church and 12 guys mostly out preaching. A couple others we know about besides the apostles, Stephen and Philip, which make it very clear to us the apostles are not the only people who can preach. Uh, others could too. But we don't have the impression, at least I don't, that everyone was seen as an evangelist. In fact, sometimes people are so unknowledgeable about their faith 
that if they go out and evangelize, they'll do more harm than good. For example, uh, in the Jesus movement, everybody had a motive to go out and share the gospel in the streets, and I did so too. And I remember being out with somebody who was older than me, and he, he was kind of taking the lead. Um, and we were talking to somebody, and um, you know, the guy said, I don't want to become a Christian because I want to, I want to keep sleeping with my girlfriend. I don't want, I'm afraid I have to give up fornication if I become a Christian. And this guy who was kind of, I was out witnessing with him, he's the older guy. He said, oh, Jesus doesn't take anything away from you. He just wants to give you eternal life. Now, that's obviously the way that this brother understood the gospel. But it's a corruption of the gospel. Certainly, God calls people to repent of their sins. And, uh, you know, he does mean to take your sins away from you. He came to save his people from their sins, the Bible says. So, um you know, it's possible for someone who's got more zeal than knowledge to go out and do a lot of evangelism and kind of get the wrong message across, um, even though they mean well. So, I mean, if someone's a young Christian and they don't know very much about the gospel, except that they know Jesus, sort of like the blind man in John chapter 9, where he was criticized by the chief priest saying, this Jesus you're, you're believing and he's a, he's a bad guy, he broke the Sabbath. The guy said, I don't actually know that much about him. The guy said, I don't know if he's good or bad. I, I just know that I was blind and now I see. You know, I mean, sometimes a new Christian who doesn't know very much theology can just say, hey, <laughs> I, I can't answer all your questions about this, but I'll tell you, Jesus is real. He came and changed my life, and that's my testimony. And every Christian can do that if they have the occasion. And some can do more. Some people can really become uh, good at presenting the gospel. But not everyone is an evangelist. Um, for example, when I was young, I wanted to be an evangelist. That was my goal. I wanted to preach the gospel. I wanted to preach from pulpits and uh, you know, in auditoriums and parks and things like that. And I did that. But eventually, God kind of put me into teaching the Bible to people who are already Christians. And I, I still did evangelism as much as I could. But my teaching duties got to be so much, I was hardly ever around non-Christians. I was teaching Christians, you know, every day of the week for hours, and, and it just really crowded out. And I eventually decided, oh, okay, I might want to be an evangelist, but it looks like God might be making me be a teacher. Uh, and he did give some evangelists and some teachers, and maybe I'm a teacher instead of an evangelist. And, and it, the truth is there's lots of different gifts. It doesn't take a lot of evangelists who are out preaching the gospel if, if, they, if they are faithfully doing it. Uh, for example, Billy Graham preached over a million people in South Korea and, and probably millions, many millions in his lifetime. Uh, I will never reach that many people. Even with a radio show, I'll never reach that many people. Uh, and, and then if my show is mostly teaching and not evangelism, then you know, I'm not going to be evangelizing as many people as he did. But I will certainly talk about Jesus to any unbeliever that wants to talk about it. Uh, but my main ministry is not going to be in that area. So I, I think that preachers... I think they don't preach about the Great Commission very well. They either go one way or the other in the extreme. They either don't don't pay any attention to it, and the, you know they give the impression, okay, you people in the congregation, uh, you don't need to preach gospel. That's that's for us professionals in the pulpit, you know. Or it's the other way around, and they're pushing. Everyone needs to go out there and preach the gospel. Everyone needs to go out and preach the gospel. I think that's also. Uh, I don't think that's scriptural either. What I do believe is that the body of Christ as a whole is commissioned to make disciples of all the nations. Some people are going to be evangelizing. Some people are going to be teaching those who are evangelizing. And other people are going to be doing other things that are part of that mission. It's like an evangelist is out fishing, uh, but 
it may be his job to bring the fish in, and somebody else may be assigned to clean the fish, you know, the teachers or the disciples or pastors or whatever. Uh, so, you know, I, I think we need to have a balanced idea about this. Everyone, it says in 1 Peter 3.15, of course, we all need to be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks us about our faith. Um, and I, I always, even though I'm not primarily an evangelist, I'm all, when I'm with unbelievers, I'm always looking for an opportunity to bring it up. But I'm not going to force the issue. If I don't end up preaching the gospel to every unbeliever I see, I'm, I'm not going to say, oh, well, I missed my responsibility there. Because it, it, it's not necessarily my responsibility to preach to everyone I see, though I might like to. God doesn't open those doors all the time. Anyway, you seem to have a good desire and a good, uh, and a good calling to share the gospel with people. Um, and I, I don't want to discourage that at all. And you may encourage others to do so. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, still a Baptist before the Jesus movement, uh, before I was a teacher, there was a girl at the school. I didn't really know her. I, I eventually found out what her name was, but she was preaching to everybody. Now, this was before the Jesus movement. This was before there were a lot of Christians. I, in fact, I didn't know any other Christians on my school campus at that time but myself. And I knew she was a Christian because she was always out preaching to people, handing out tracts and stuff. And I remember I went to her once and I said, you know, boy, I'd like to be as evangelistic as you. How in the world did you get turned on like that? And she told me that she had a dream. That God gave her a dream. And in the dream, she, it was the judgment day. And her friends were at the judgment day and they were condemned because they didn't know Christ. And she said in the dream, when they learned they were condemned, they looked over at her and said, you knew about this and you didn't tell me? And that just struck her. And she, since then, she just felt the call of God to evangelize everybody. I think, I think she was called to do it. And I, you know, I think that was the right thing. And, and it made me want to do it more, too. And uh, so if you're evangelistic, others may get the idea of doing it, too. But if they don't, just be faithful in it. And you might bring it up to the pastor of the church you go to and say, hey, do you ever talk about the responsibility of evangelism and the Great Commission? And if they say, oh, well, once in a while that comes up, then you might just say, well, I'm, you know, I'd like to hear more of that kind of thing. And maybe they'll do it. If they say, oh, we don't talk about that, then maybe you want to go to a different church. I'm not sure. But I, the main thing to do is realize that you are, God has definitely put a heart of evangelism in you. If not everyone has quite that same heart of evangelism, that doesn't mean they're not doing what God's called to do because they might be consumed with a heart to do some other kind of ministry. Um, some people might have no time for evangelism except to raise their kids and nurture uh, an admonition of the Lord, and they may be consumed with that. So we can't judge another person. Uh, Paul said, who are you to judge another man's servant? But we can definitely uh, do evangelism and encourage others to do it. If you know, Maybe they will. If they're, if they're called to it, you might be the spark plug that gets them to do it. And you can also ask the pastor, you know, do you ever talk about evangelism here? Because I don't hear as much about it as I'd like to. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. Really blessing ministry. Thank you. Thank you, Vero. Good talking to you. I appreciate your call. Uh, let's talk to Daryl from Maine. Daryl, welcome to the Narrow Path. Thanks for calling. Hi, how you doing, Steve? Good. We don't have much time, so go ahead. Uh, I got a quick question. I feel like I have Jesus living inside me. Mm-hmm. Like a spirit, Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I was just wondering, is that normal? Is it normal to have the Holy Spirit, or is it normal to feel like you have the Holy Spirit? All the time, yeah, it's constantly. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's I think, 
Yeah, it, it's it's certainly normative for Christians to have the Holy Spirit living in them. In fact, uh, less than that isn't Christian. Paul said if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his in uh, Romans 8, 9. But um, not everyone feels the presence of the Holy Spirit, but most Christians wish they did. And uh, if you do, that's excellent. I think the presence of the Holy Spirit is not always registered in our visceral emotions or feelings, but when it when we do feel that, it's always wonderful. And most people kind of feel that sometimes and not at other times. And, and maybe some people have never felt it, but there's there's other evidences that the Holy Spirit is in you besides feelings. Um, for example, if you're if the fruit of the Spirit is coming up in your life, which is love and joy and peace and self-control and gentleness and so forth, if if that's if that's the kind of character that's being developed in you since you became a Christian, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So not everyone has as many feelings as other people have. But I do think that someone who feels the Holy Spirit in them all the time is enviable. I don't, I don't say everyone has to, but again, I... I think I've heard more complaints the other way from Christians. You know, I don't really feel the Holy Spirit. I don't feel God near me. But that doesn't mean there's something wrong because feelings are not the main indicator of your spiritual condition. Uh, rather, your behavior and where your heart's at is more of an indicator. But I, I, I congratulate that, you on that, and I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want you to be concerned, negatively concerned about that because that's... Uh, to my mind, a very enviable condition to be in. Thank you. You've been listening to the Narrow Path radio broadcast. My name is Steve Gregg, and we're live Monday through Friday at this same time. And uh, if you'd like to help us stay on the air, you can write to the Narrow Path, P.O. Box 1730, Temecula, California, 92593. Or you can go to our website. Everything at the website is free, but you can donate there if you want to. That's thenarrowpath.com. And remember, I'm in Arizona this week. You can check thenarrowpath.com at under announcements to see where that is. Have a good weekend.